Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to the adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. And I want to call it, I don't know why, but I, I look at the title of the episode, and I want to call it the Denny Crane caper, but it's actually the Denny Shane caper, for those of you who watch Boston Legal. <laughs> this episode is from April 6th, 1951. This is Retake Weekend, by the way. <laughs> I'm doing this all over again. Just thought I'd let you know the technical problems that sometimes arise. Anyway, after Sam Spain, correction, <laughs> after Sam Spade is Philip Marlowe from August 13th, 1949. The episode is entitled, unfortunately, Indian Giver. Let's call it, call it Native American Giver, okay? And after that is Bulldog Drummond from June 26th, 1944. The episode entitled Nazi Sub. I almost said Nasty Sub, but I know during World War II, the Nazis were, were often referred to as Nasties. Anyway, enjoy all these, and I'll see you all back here real soon. God willing, the creeks don't rise. Take care, enjoy. The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Hi. Sam? Who else? Did you wind it up, Sam? Is it all over? If you're talking about the usual happy ending with the villains dead and buried and the lovers joining hands while the camera does a slow fade, it is not all over, sweetheart. What do you mean, Sam? The villains in this piece are for real, still doing business at the same old stand from one end of the country to the other. Oh, Sam, you sound so grim. Only because I have a grim tale to tell, little one. So warn all within earshot that if they seek bluebirds of happiness, sweetness and light, and love conquers all, to try another detective. Because even now, I am on my way with something that might butt into your sleep for the next few days. To wit, my report on the Denny Shane caper. <laughs> NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all, starring Stephen Dunn in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Sam? Yeah, yeah. You look pale. 
I guess maybe I'm a little sick, too. Now, Sam, I warned you about heavy lunches when you're on a cane. Not that kind of sick, Angel. This kind starts at your shoe tops, runs up your backbone, and kicks around in your head till you're... Where's the book? Right here, Sam. Okay. Uh, date, fill it in. Two? To John Q. Public. From Samuel Spade. License number 137596. Subject, the Denny Shane caper. Dear John Q. She was sprawled in the corner chair when I got back from lunch. A kid of 16 or so, complete with bobby socks, hair ribbons, and shoulder bag. The kind you see every afternoon in the drugstore near the high school, making jive talk over a soda. But she looked up as I walked in, and the eyes didn't look like jive talk at all. There was trouble in them. You're Mr. Spade? Yep. The detective? Well, according to some people. Fine. I need a detective. You're sure now? Mm Mm-hmm. Positive. What would you be doing with a detective? Your ad in the classified section said you find people. Well, sometimes. They're not too badly lost, that is. Who do you want to find? Did you ever hear of Denny Shane? You don't really want to find Denny Shane, do you? Why not? Well, most people want to lose him. Then you do know him. I'm glad. Here's $20. Now, wait a minute. Hold it, honey. Don't get anxious. What's the matter? Don't you want to be paid for this? Not if I don't do it. What do you mean? Let's talk about you. What's your name? Mary Johnson. Does it make any difference? Mm-hmm. Mary Johnson. Where do you live, Mary? Well, I've, I've never been in San Francisco before. I just got in yesterday. Staying with a friend out in the marina. My home's in Denver. Denver, Colorado. 2028 14th Street. Okay. There you are. You want to sign the contract? Oh, all right. Where do I sign? On the line here. Oh. Uh, no, 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 no. The right name. Sally Joan Michaels. How did you know that? Next time you use an alias, leave the identification bracelet home. Oh. Don't tell people you're fresh out of Denver when your coat label says it's fresh out of Ruse Brothers, San Francisco. Now, let's try it again, huh? What about Denny Shane? Well, I... I want to find him, that's all. Well, that's a lot. Why? I'd rather not say. Well, in that case, Sally, I recommend another detective. You'll find there's an ad in the classifying section just below mine. You mean you won't do it? Sally, if I may get pontifical for just a moment, Denny Shane is not the kind of character I would pick out for a kid like you. He has a reputation for booking horses, which is illegal, and welching his bets, which is worse. He is associated at one time or another with almost everyone in the files of the Kefauver Committee. And as for the girls he runs around Stop with... Stop it, will you? Oh. Oh, so that's it. No, that isn't it. I've never seen Denny Shane in my life. If we do find him, you'll have to point him out to me. Really? He's... He's been good to me. You see, all my life he's been good to me. Mm-hmm. And you've never seen him? No. Denny Shane is my brother, Mr. Spade. My mother died when I was born. I was adopted. But Denny went to an orphanage, and I guess he sort of... Ran wild after he got out. Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean he's been good to you? Sent me money on birthdays and Christmases, sometimes in between. He always said if I needed help to tell him, but I I never knew where to find him. We need help right now, Mr. Spade. My stepmother has to have an operation, and I know Denny will give me the money if I can find him. Why did you tell me all those black lies? I was afraid you'd call my folks. They'd be horrified if they found out... Oh, this is the truth now, Girl Scouts honor. 
Yes, Mr. Spade. Okay, you run home and study your algebra, and I'll look up Shane and Coy. No. No, I- I've got to talk to Denny myself. You're sure you want to come along? Oh, yes. Okay, but I'm going to have to leave you outside while I talk to his friends. Let's go. I hadn't seen Shane since three years ago when he conned a client of mine out of $3,000 on a phony mining stock deal. I knew it was waste motion, but I checked the hotel where he was living then and found he was long gone. Came next in the following order, one gambling joint in South City, one saloon in the Mission, and one very dubious apartment on Turk Street, run by a charming wench wearing wedgies, culottes, and peach brandy. She gave me a peachy smile. <laughs> oh, Denny Shane? <laughs> Don't step on your laughs. You seen him lately? Funny you asking about Denny. I saw him yesterday. First time in two years coming out of Augie Dano's. Oh, who's Augie Dano? Runs his gym exercise studio, reducing setup on Sutter Street. You know, work a little, lose the middle. <laughs> Get it? Yeah, I got it. But uh, anyway, thanks. So we took off for Augie Dano's. We'd been together two and a half hours so far and exchanged maybe two and a half sentences. She'd just sit quietly in her corner of the cab with her hands folded on her lap, looking straight ahead. Sally. Hey. hey. What's the matter, honey? Nothing. Oh, now, come on, come on. You can tell your Uncle Sammy something's eating you. Now, what is it? I told you. You're sure it has nothing to do with Denny and you? We settled that. I don't know, did we? You know, I, uh, I got an ache in my bad knee. Is that good? Nope. I only get it when things are going sour on me. Well, here's Augie Dano's. Come on, you can go in, too. This, uh, this place looks respectable for a change. The gold lettering on the door said Augustine Dano, Masseur, Scientific Reducer. And inside was a, an expensive-looking reception room with birch paneling, potted palms, and antique leather chairs, into one of which I stored Sally while I made bold to enter a door at the rear marked private. Oh! Oh, now, there. Look what you made me do. I am sorry. Oh, dear me. You should be. Uh, I... My best perfume I... all over the... I'm sorry. I didn't mean to slam the door, lady. The draft. This is know. a private office, sir. There is a button outside, clearly marked, ring and wait. That I did not see, and once again, I am so sorry about spilling the perfume. Oh, my. Too sure, my regret. TV. $12 an ounce. Well, I regret TV, too. Now, look, how about announcing me to the professor? Well, now, if you mean Mr. Dano, he's quite busy with now, another... Mr. Rudnick, if the envelopes are ready, I... Oh, who's this? You've got me. My name's Spade. Spade? Spade. The detective? Yeah, Detective? I... Oh, what... what, uh, what just is... a minute, Miss Rudnick. Would you have your nerve barging in like that? I thought you were a client. I... All right, Miss Rodnick. All right, here. Well, Four bits. Now, buy yourself another quart. Well, I never. This I can believe. Well, what do you want, Spade? Well, I'm looking for Denny Shane. Someone uh, saw him walk out of here yesterday. Shane? That's right. Well, what's the matter? Some trouble or something? No, no. His kid sister's trying to look him up. Oh. 
<laughs> that's funny. What? Well, that someone saw him coming out of here. I never heard of the guy. Of course, we got people in here all the time, you know, salesmen, agents, friends of clients, you know. But no shame. Not that I know of. What's he look like? Oh, about my height, blue eyes, pale complexion, too thin to be coming here as a customer. <laughs> well, I wish I could help you, pal, but like I say, so many people come in and out of here, sure, you know. Sure, sure. Thanks anyway. Bye. Bye. Any luck? No, never heard of them. Come on. Too bad. Where to now? Oh, there are a couple of more places. After you. Cab's gone. Well, I told him not to wait. I thought we might have something to eat across the street. I'm not hungry, thanks. Look, you better call your parents. No. No, don't. I, I, I told him I was spending the night with a girlfriend so they wouldn't worry. That's another big black lie. Look, I'm tired of playing this way. I want it all. I told you. You're eating your heart out over something, and it's not Mama's operation. It's something bigger, and it hurts worse. And don't tell me any different because it's written all over your face. Please. Please don't ask me anymore, please. Ah, skip it. Where's the cab? Don't take me home. That's just where you're going, honey. I'm... Well. What's the matter? Look, coming up the street. Is that... Yeah, Denny Shane. You're sure? Of course I'm sure. I've got to be positive. I'll prove it to you. Denny? Huh? See? Yes. Denny, come here a minute. Oh, Sam Spade, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you recognize the kid? No. He's your little sister. Sister? What are you talking about? I haven't... It all happened in less than a second. So hard, so fast, so horrible, it froze me in my tracks. The shoulder bag flew open, there was an automatic in her hand, and then Denny Shane was dead on the pavement, and she was turning toward me, her face a sick gray color, handing me the gun, handle first. There, there, it's done now. You can take me to the police. You are listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. chimes mean good times on NBC. Whether it's comedy, music, or drama you're after, you'll find it on The Big Show this Sunday. The dynamic Tallulah is your hostess, and her guests include Fred Allen, Jimmy Durante, Vivian Blaine, Jane Morgan, and Rudy Valley. You're invited every Sunday to The Big Show. And this Sunday also brings you a one-hour adaptation of F. Scott Fitzgerald's exciting novel, This Side of Paradise, presented by Theater Guild on the Air, and starring Richard Widmark and Nina Foch. And now back to the Denny Shane caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. I won't try to give you the play-by-play for the hour following the shots on Sutter Street because I was in no shape to remember things in sequence. In less than a minute, we were in the center of a milling crowd. Cars jammed up, horns began to blow. Then the morgue wagon and a squad of homicide dicks and flashbulbs going off like firecrackers. 
And Sally standing them all off with a frozen gray expression on her face that never changed. While I stood at her elbow, me, Sam Spade, who'd seen Lord knows how many murders with rubber in my knees and a feeling in my stomach like I was going to be sick. Finally, the squad car picked us up and headed for Dundee's office. Mr. Spade? Yeah? I've been waiting for you to ask me why I did it. I thought I'd leave that for the professionals. It won't do any good to ask me, Mr. Spade. Please tell him that, will you? It'll save all of us a lot of trouble. Everything I told you was a lie. I had to make you take me to him some way because I didn't know what he looked like. I hope you know what kind of a stew you jumped into, Sally. Because from here on, it's going to be pretty tough. I don't care what they do to me. I've had nothing to live for for a long time now. What do you mean? Sounds stupid, doesn't it? Sixteen years old and nothing to live for. Ah, Sally. Tell him not to ask me any questions. Tell him I'm guilty. Sentence me to do whatever they do. I'll, I'll never tell him why. I'll never tell him why. Give me a cigarette, Sam. Yeah. Why did I have to grow up to be a homicide, Dick? No dice, Lieutenant? No dice. It's her old man's gun. Hooked it out of his drawer this morning before she left for school. I still think she's mixed up with Shane somewhere. Dundee, believe me, that's one thing I can guarantee. She didn't know Shane from Hopalong Cassidy. Well, I'm only falling back on the standard answer to this kind of a clam bake, Sam. This is not a standard clam bake. Uh, you're telling me. You know, Sam, it kind of scares you. What the Sam Hill's happening to our kids? A 16-year-old girl still in high school walking up to someone on the street? Shut up, Dundee. Oh, I'm sorry. That's got me, too. She's resting on the couch in there. Stick around till I get back. I gotta go down and wait for her. Oh, excuse me. I saw the lieutenant go out and I... Yeah, come on in. Sit down. I, I'm i a friend of Sally's. Do you think I could talk to her for a minute? Well, I don't think she feels like talking. Look, I I, I got to, mister. I, I, I got to talk to her. What's your name? Eddie Tucker. I go to school with Sally. I've been waiting for three hours outside for a chance to talk to her. Can I, please? What's it about? It's... Kind of personal. Okay, through the door there. Oh, thanks. And uh, leave it open. Oh, yes, sir. The minute he went in, I slid along the wall into a corner between the door jam and a file case. And through the doorway, I could see them both in a mirror on the far wall of the inner office. Sally. What are you doing here? I, I had to see you, Sally. I heard about it, and I, and I had to see you, that's all. You're wasting your time, Eddie. It's all over and you know it. You shouldn't have done it, Sally. You, you know what I promised you. I know what you promised me all the other times, too. This was for keeps, honest. So are the other times. All right, look. Look at this, see? Out the window. Watch! Now. Now do you believe me? Eddie... 
It's not your fault anymore. I don't blame you, honest. All those promises... I'll keep this one, Sally. Honest, I will. No. You're a zombie, Eddie. You know what a zombie is? Someone who moves and walks around, but who's dead inside. Go away. Now. <laughs> Go away. He got up slowly and walked past me out the door. Rosy-cheeked, 17, with a tired, old man look in his eyes. A few minutes later, the matron came by and I left her with Sally. The window in Dundee's office opened onto a second-floor roof below, and directly beneath it, I picked up what Eddie had tossed out. A set of car keys and a leather case, plus a third one that looked like it belonged to a school locker with a number 339 on it. And written in ink on the leather inside, like a memo, was Denny Shane. 778 Turk Street, apartment 4. Hello, kids. Oh, well, it's you again. Yeah. Well, hello, Olga, Jack. Aren't you going to wait for an invitation? You done me wrong this morning, honey. About Denny? Yeah. Said you hadn't seen him in two years. Ah, I told you about Augie Dano, didn't I? Anyone told you about Denny Shane? Ah, no great loss. Pox for biscuit. Oh, would you like a drink? Uh, Thank you, no. Now, what about... I had it coming to him sooner or later. Never made an honest buck in his life. How did he have it coming to him? Like he got it, like they all get it. What was his racket? Numbers. You know how it works? You buy a number Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. How do you know all this? Curiosity. Intellectual curiosity. I want to know things. All the time I want to know things, follow? So one day, when Denny leaves his suit to be cleaned and I find the book in his pocket, I ask the questions What book? His numbers book, stupid. What's that? Oh, you know, with the names and numbers of all his customers. You uh, wouldn't know where it is, would you? Oh, perhaps, perhaps. Uh, <clears throat> Oh, yes, yes. How does five bucks look? Bourbon is awful high. Yeah, you probably drink it straight. Ten. Better. Come on. I think it's, uh, I think it's in his top drawer. Uh, let me see now. Um, pies a little, there you are. That little black book. See? All the names, all the numbers. All the names, all the numbers, and one other feature. It was divided into sections, labeled Galileo, Balboa, Lowell, George Washington, and a couple of more fellows who passed on long before the numbers racket was invented. Under each was a list of names. Eddie Tucker's was on the page headed Thomas Jefferson, and after it was number 339-7th Street. At this point, several bells rang. The odd key in Eddie's case didn't belong to a locker. It went with a box in the main post office on 7th Street. Hey, now look, fella. It's 11 o'clock yeah, at night. Yeah, my name's Spade, clerk. Look. See? The license. I don't care about the license. The rules and regulations of the United States Postal Service... I know. Through rain and sleet and snow and hail. But there's been a murder, you see. Murder? Yeah. Oh, well, in that case, I... I suppose we great, can... Great, great. Where's the mail for the boxes? Uh, on the table over there. But it isn't distributed... If you'll wait a shake... I'll wait a shake. 
It took more than a shake, but we got to it just before midnight. A scented envelope it was, addressed simply to Eddie Tucker, Box 339. And in it was the answer to everything. The tired old man eyes on the kid Eddie, the zombie. And Sally, who figured her life was over at 16 because Eddie was through. But who had sent it to him was something else again. Just a plain white envelope, the kind you get for a nickel a pack in the dime store. I looked at it a little closer, wondering what manner of stationer would deem it fitting to sprinkle perfume on the kind of envelope most people made their bills in. And finally, a possible explanation took shape in my mind. You don't have to hit spade on the head with a baseball bat. Any large-sized mallet will do. Not just a minute, Spade. I deserve an explanation. You'll get it. But... You'll get it, Augie. I'm in bed asleep. What do you get off buzzing my bell this time of night? Patience, but... patience. But look, You're I... alone? Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Well, what are you taking your coat off for? Just relax, Augie. Yeah, there's the coat. Tie. And now the shoulder holster. Shoulder holster? Here we are. Uh, wait a minute now. Well, what is all this? Well, you know the old saw, Augie. Work a little, lose the middle. What I need is exercise. Great. All right, you come around to the studio sometime. <laughs> What's the matter with you? Are you crazy? Yeah, get up. I want to try it with the right hand. Look, Spade. They I... got ground rules over at headquarters now, Augie. No white lights, no rubber hoses, but they don't apply to private dicks. Get up! Listen, if you're looking for trouble, I... <laughs> all right's even better. Okay, up you go. Now, come on. Up against the wall. Now. Let go of me, Spade. Let's talk, huh? Talk? Yeah, about Denny Shane, about the kids he smeared with his filthy hands. High school kids from Balboa High and Lowell and George Washington. Good kids, straight kids. I don't know nothing about... You're outside man, wasn't it? You're Roper. Turning up in drugstores and jive joints with those dirty little packets of heroin he passed out his headache powders. No, I don't know nothing. So he got him hooked hard, huh? Hey, uh, there was no more, and then they got a mailbox number and a key. Then they raised money any way they could. I got nothing to do with it. My studio. Yeah, your studio's a front. Does a dame down there know what's in those envelopes she mails every day, or does she think they're statements? Come on, talk, Donald. Talk! 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 She did, a full hour's worth in Dundee's office, and a harrowing tale it was. I felt like printing up a million copies and mailing it out to every father and mother in the country. They'd taken him downstairs when I happened to glance out of Dundee's window. Down on the second floor roof, a point of light was moving back and forth slowly from one end to the other. Eddie. Where are they? Where are those keys? I've got to have them. Here. Oh, thanks. Uh, my car. I, I couldn't get home in my car, you see. You don't need a kid, me, Eddie. I know all about it. Oh. I... I can't do anything about myself, Mr. Spade. I'm helpless. I... What she said. Zombie. You're not helpless. You can't handle it alone, maybe, but you're not helpless. Other guys have licked it, and you can, too, if you want it bad enough. I... 
I want you. I just... Good, that's all you need. We'll take care of the rest. Let's go, Like I said, this one doesn't have bluebirds at the end. Not yet, anyway. The bold fact is that Sally Joan Michaels is facing the juvenile version of a murder rap. However, the best criminal lawyer in town has volunteered to defend her, and the state will be represented by the most half-hearted prosecution that ever set foot in the courtroom. Eddie Tucker is entering a sanitarium tomorrow, making him luckier than some of the other kids in that little black book. What about yours, John Q? Hmm? Period. End of report. Well? Oh, I, I don't know what to say, Sam. I feel so awful, I guess I'd better not make any comments at all. Me too, sweetheart. Let us lose ourselves in our work. Me and this cheap novel you were reading, and you and the merry chatter of that 1906 model, Oliver. Scoot. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. This Sunday, there's fun for you with two delightful families, the Blandings and the Harrises. Mr. and Mrs. Blanding stars Cary Grant and Betsy Drake as the troubled but proud owners of the famous Dream House. And the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show brings you Phil and Alice, plus Brother William, Darling Child Julius, and the ever-present Frankie Remley. Amazing. Oh, not really, Sam. There's nothing amazing. Ah, 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 ah. Don't sell yourself short now. I'm just a plain garden variety secretary, Sam. Look at that. Immaculate. Not a mistake. Oh, Sam. And in 26 seconds flat, in just the time it took that man to read a short announcement, you type out five copies of a 28-page report. In my book, that is amazing. All right, I admit it, Sam. I'm amazing. Good, good. And another thing. What's that? I'm hungry. Oh. And tonight is sauerbraten night at Schroeder's, and, and Max Nishi's letting girls in now. Ah, uh, Cherub, as you may have gathered, I didn't collect a fee off this one. Oh, but Sam, I still have ten dollars you gave me last week to, to cover my back salary from six weeks before that, so we will... Schroeder's it is, ah! yes. Let me go home and put on my other shirt. And I'll get my sauerbraten hat. <laughs> Good night, Sam. Good night, sweetheart. She is amazing. The Adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Stephen Dunn. Lorreen Tuttle is Effie. Also in the cast were Kathy Lewis, Paul Fries, Kathleen Freeman, Lou Merrill, Bill Tracy, and Jerry Hausner. Script for tonight's adventure by Harold Swanton. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin, conducted by Robert Armbruster. Join us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. You can help in the fight to conquer cancer. Strike back at cancer by joining the 1951 Cancer Crusade of the American Cancer Society. Help science help you. Give generously to your local unit by mailing your contribution to Cancer, care of your local post office. Cancer is a major problem, and the fight against it deserves major support. Laugh with the Magnificent Montague and Duffy's Tavern each Friday on NBC.
Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. It started with an Indian gift of a piece of pottery and led to a brown bear and moccasins. An archaeologist, much laughing water, and finally, death in an alley. But just to make matters worse, the Indian giver was a female and 100% genuine hot-blooded Apache. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Indian Giver. of any city is just so much steel and stone and streets, jammed full with the raucous sounds of a thousand and one different machines. But by night, all of that is gone, and there are only endless, smooth-sided, lonely canyons that overflow with a steady, humming silence that everywhere hangs like a distant echo of the day that's passed. And Los Angeles was no exception at nine o'clock at night, as I pulled up and parked in front of a graced curtain storefront on a deserted downtown street that marked the showroom of the wholesale curio dealer who had telephoned my office an hour earlier. And in a Dutch accent laced tight with worry, it urged me to call on him at once. A raised gold lettering on a side door that showed a strip of yellow light at the threshold said Alex Van Nord, private, in an ornate 18th-century script. So when I knocked, I was ready for something continental with thick bifocal glasses. When the door swung open, my jaw dropped to my chest. And I couldn't help gaping because the huge V of a man in front of me in cheap, snug clothes, white dark hair, dark skin, and darker eyes. Had to be no less than a full-blooded American Indian. Moccasins and all. What you want? Uh, Mr. Van Ord, is he in? Name your business. Well, it's personal. What's yours? Hate. For those who would destroy our culture. Oh. Oh. Mr. Marlowe. Mr. Marlowe, let me help you up, sir. I'm Fenor. Are you all right? Oh, sure, sure. I'm fine. Hey, that engine, he certainly can hit hard, huh? Oh, yes, I know. He also struck me, though. Oh? Ach, I tell you, Mr. Marlowe, it's terrible. Yeah, it's also a little confusing, Mr. Van Nord. Exactly why did you call me in the first place? Oh, well... It began this morning when I received a shipment of Indian curios from my buyer in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Everything in the crate was in order, except one extra piece of pottery, a bowl. Bowl? Indian bowl? Yes, yes. It appeared no place on the invoice. Oh, I didn't pay much attention to it till I noticed that the two-inch wide band of inscriptions near the top were not like any others I'd ever seen. Inscriptions, huh? Yeah. Oh, you mean those Indian signs, broken arrow, deer, wigwam kind of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So, so my curiosity was aroused, and I called my representative in Santa Fe. Uh-huh. However, he knew nothing of the bowl either, so finally, well, I put it in my display window there and forgot about it. Until about noon, when a frail, sandy-haired man stepped in. You know his name? No, no. Uh-huh. Only that he said he was an archaeologist mm-hmm. and that he wanted to buy the bowl. He refused to sell it, huh? Uh, why? For two reasons, Mr. Marlowe. One, 
I could see that he was fighting hard to control his enthusiasm. And two, I had no idea what to charge for the ball. Mm -hmm. I told him to come back tomorrow again, and then I removed the ball from the window. It wasn't until five o'clock that the second visitor appeared. Another archaeologist? No, no. A beautiful girl named Mona Waters. Oh. She was very sophisticated, wore an expensively tailored white, uh, smart suit, no jewelry she wore whatsoever. Mm -hmm. uh, she described the bowl I had placed in my storeroom perfectly and then asked if I had seen such a piece of pottery or if I had one for sale. I said no. Same reason? More or less. <laughs> Anything else, Mr. Van Orn? Well, there isn't much more. The young lady gave me her address... The Walker Hotel on Wilson Boulevard, uh, room 515. Walker Hotel. Uh, asked me to call her if I came across a bowl like the ones he described. Then she left. Naturally, my interest at this time was near the bursting point. Naturally. What'd you do about it? Uh, the only sensible thing I knew of. At six o'clock, I closed my place and I went to the public library to borrow a book on hieroglyphics of the Indians of the Southwest. When I got back, I found the rear door forced and poof. The ball was gone. And you called me? Yes. Then this Indian shows up. He claims I would rob his people of everything, and then he hit me. Makes perfect sense to him, though, though. Yes. No. Will you try to recover the ball for me, please? Well, if you can answer one question without stumbling, yes. Huh? Why no police, Mr. Van Nord? Uh, because objects of art, Mr. Marlowe, aside from their intrinsic worth, and, and the clay ball has none, are only valuable for resale. Create a public disturbance, such as the police, and the thief will destroy the object and another day steal again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, please. Please, you try, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, I'll try, all right, Mr. Van Norden. When it comes to our two-fisted brave who's so crazy about the preservation of Indian culture, I'll try real hard. Good night, sir. <laughs> Nord's enthusiasm and the hundred bucks he pressed into my hand before I left were encouraging, and I drove straight to the Walker Hotel on Wilshire Boulevard, where a moment after I entered the plush lobby, encouragement came once more. Because gliding from a travel agency booth toward a cocktail lounge was what my client had described as beautiful girl, expensively tailored, smart white suit, no jewelry whatsoever. But when we were both inside and at adjoining stools at the bar, where the soft lights accented her high cheekbones and jet black hair, I knew that Mr. Van Nord had skipped something important. Because in spite of a full mouth, neatly rouged, eyebrows, pencil, come hither in a coiffure shingled vintage 1949, Mona Waters could also be full-blooded American Indian. Which is what I was working on when she turned, blew a smoke signal in my face, and spoke with an accent that was about as Apache as Vassar. Don't let me make you lose your place, but, uh, you mind telling me why you're staring? I collect the reasons for a hobby. You know, like some people save stamps. Uh-huh. And others pottery. Pot... Who are you? A ceramics fiend named Smith. Now, Mona, let's talk about you, huh? Why? Because I've already been offered $10,000 for the bowl. Good enough? You have the bowl where? Well, not in my pocket, honey. It's too bulky. I've got it tucked safely away outside in my car. Oh? Yeah, you know, you didn't hide it very well after you stole it from Van Nord. You've been in my room. Could be. Now, do we talk business, yes or no? Yes. What do you want to know? Well, for one thing, what's the bowl to you? Everything. It's mine. All mine. By a primogeniture. Which is Apache for what? Listen, Mr. Smith. I'm an Indian, all right. And an Apache at that. But I was born in a duplex, not a teepee. 
I drink martinis, not fire water, and I've got a Mills College diploma and an IQ that'll probably make yours look sick, so let's clear the air in a hurry. Yeah, well, that's clear enough. Now, smart boy, my late Uncle George Waters, also known as Chief Laughing Waters, giggle if you want to, own the bowl you want $10,000 for. So? So a long time ago, he willed it to my father. However, my father died a year ago, leaving only me as heir apparent. Since that bowl is mine, all mine, via primogeniture, which brings us right back to where we were. Except you haven't mentioned why the bowl means so much to you. And I won't. No, will you pay the 10,000 bucks, huh? I didn't say that. And I won't say anything more until I see that bowl. Now, I've got to make a couple of calls. It should take about 20 minutes. After that, I'll be in my room. Please call before you come up. And if you don't have the bowl, don't, don't come, come up. up. Okay, baby, fair enough. So long. It had been the kind of conversation piece wherein each party's quite sure that the other's a liar, but not quite sure why. So a moment after I was on the sidewalk and out of Mona's sight, I darted to the side of the hotel in the rear entrance where I made my way to a self-service freight elevator that got me to the fifth floor, just as the Apache with gloss closed the door to a room at the far end of the carpeted hallway. I was about halfway there when it came. The door to 515 wasn't locked, and when I threw it open, I found about what I'd expected. Mona slumped in a corner of the room, pride heard only, and opposite her a wide-open window, which I figured led to a fire escape, until I was standing next to it and saw that there was nothing but sheer wall that plunged five stories to the sidewalk below, and on a line with the hotel's fourth floor, a rooftop that at best was a good 15 feet away. When I closed the window and turned back to the room, Mona was already on her feet. That sly jerk. He waited till I had the door closed behind me, and then he swung. Oh, brother, when we meet again. Oh, Mona, who? Did he get uh, the bowl? Get, get the bowl? I thought you had that, Smith. I was kidding, and you know it. Now, once more, who was it? His name, Mona. Jimmy Brownbear. Jimmy which? Brownbear. Smitty, a lot of Indians have Indian names. It's a custom. Try not to fall apart every time you hear one. I will if you'll stop being persecuted. I think Indians are all good Americans. Now tell me about the big brown bear. Okay. All right. He's absolutely sold the bowl's a priceless tribal heirloom the white man's trying to steal. He's plain nuts. Who else would try a jump like that from a fifth-story window? Yeah, quite a hop. If he actually made it. What do you mean, if? Nobody fell. No, maybe nobody jumped either. Maybe you make up heap big story, baby. Hide bowl here in closet, then fall on floor. Tell Wild Taylor, Screwball Apache. That'd be smart. Yeah, heap. But also smart if you take long nose out of engine girl's affairs before it gets blown off. Stand still, buster. Yo, tomahawk, caliber 38. How unfriendly. But effective. Now, Smith, what's your real name? Sammy Blue Ox. My father Listen, calls me... Listen, Junior. Let me clear up a very important point. That Indian bowl, in some strange way, is the answer to the location of enough lost Spanish gold to keep you, me, and everyone we ever met off the bread line from here on out. Okay, I'm intrigued with the point you were going to clear up. Just this. I've got a dandy idea where I can find both the bowl and Jimmy Brown there right now. That's something I wanted to walk by my lonesome. Now back into that closet and keep quiet. While you head where? On the warpath, via bus. I'm a hot-blooded Apache, remember? So long, baby. There are times when things look black enough without staying put in a dark closet. So I kicked the lock, spun the casing, and walked out in room 515 just in time to hear a timid knock on a hall door. 
when it opened up one frail sandy-haired man wanted information. Oh, I, I beg your pardon, sir. Hmm? Can you possibly tell me where I can find Miss Mona Waters? Who are you? <laughs> My name is Clark Erskine. I, I'm an archaeologist. I'm oh, sorry, friend. I can't say any more than Miss Waters is out after a wild-eyed Apache who's got a piece of pottery tucked underneath his arm. What? Oh, not the bowl. It's supposed to be in Van Nort's place. Not Jimmy Brown Bear. Yeah, right on both counts, Mr. Erskine, but... What makes the name Brown Bear ring a bell? You two met before? Well, we certainly have. Mm. Why, that idiot has hampered every archaeologist who has so much as set foot in New Mexico. Well, now that you've mentioned it, Mr. Erskine, why your keen interest in the bowl? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? Yeah. Well, my good men, those inscriptions circled around it are going to prove invaluable. Possibly another uh, Rosetta Stone. An open sesame to the countless undecipherable writings we've already collected. About Spanish gold, maybe. Huh? Spanish gold? Oh. oh, sir, what are you talking about? Nothing. Look, Erskine, one question. How did you know that Mona Waters was staying here at this hotel? <laughs> it wasn't simple How to bad. learn. Uh, when Mr. Van Nord refused to sell the bowl to me until tomorrow, I wanted to be certain that he also didn't sell it to anyone else. So I watched his showroom. Oh, that's smart. <laughs> when I saw Miss Waters there, I recognized her at once as an Apache, and I followed her here where I found out her name and room number. Now, I'm going to wait for her until she returns. I'm not going to give up. That bowl means now, too wait much. Wait a minute. Wait Why a minute. You... Hold it, Erskine. You happen to know Jimmy Brown Bear's hometown? Come on, quick. Well, yes, I do. It's, it's Sacona, New Mexico. Sacona, New Mexico? Yes. By bus. Thank you, friend. I'm sorry to have to leave you to do your waiting alone, but i got to catch a bus. But where, Mr. Marlowe? At the downtown central bus depot to put cart before horse, to turn tables, a switch. In short, Mr. Erskine to track an Indian. So long. <laughs> In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, you meet many an old friend from the wide field of music every Sunday afternoon when the Coraliers and the Symphonette are heard on most of these same CBS stations. This Sunday, the fine voices of the Coraliers will recall such old favorites as I've Been Working on the Railroad, The Best Things in Life Are Free, and Janine, I Dream of Lilac Time. The Symphonette will bring you the overture from the Bohemian Girl, a Strauss composition, and a stirring march, among others. Be sure to hear the Symphonette and the Coraliers to find your old friends and favorites every Sunday. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Indian Giver. Tracking an Indian over the busy concrete of downtown Los Angeles sounds a lot tougher than it turned out to be. Apparently a six-feet-four Apache in a full-crown black hat and moccasins was an oddity even in a city of oddities. And everyone who'd seen him remembered him, from the guy behind the bus depot's ticket desk to the newsboy outside the flop house nearby, where Jimmy Brown Bear had made camp. The next bus was still 45 minutes away, so I decided to visit the flop house. But Jimmy Brown Bear must have seen me coming and was expecting trouble, because when I stepped into the hall, I saw him duck out the back door to the alley. I ran after him and watched him turn down what would have been a dead end to a normal man. But Jimmy made a jump at a nine-foot wall, caught the top, and was pulling himself up when it happened. Jimmy stiffened on the wall. When the second shot came, he dropped rigidly like a poison fly and lay very still. I started over to him, but stopped at the excited voice of a cabbie running toward me from the open end of the alley. Hey, hey, mister. Hey, hey, what happened? I heard a couple of shots here, and I... Uh-oh. Yeah, that's what you heard. Holy mackerel, Hey, wait, wait. That's the Indian. You mean you know him, too? Yeah, I hauled him around in my cab tonight. 
Who did it, mister? You? Oh, don't be silly, will you? The shots could have come from any place. Any one of those windows is on fire. Oh, escape. yeah? Yeah. Well, between those buildings there that... Hey, that dame running for the street. Will you get out of my way? Not so fast, buddy. You know it. Yes, I know. I'm on her waters. Brother, will you get the cops over here right away, will you? I got to catch that girl. No chance, mister. She's long gone. Oh, oh no. Van Nord. Oh, I certainly didn't expect to find you here. What in the world is going on here? Among other things, murder. Yeah, it's that Indian, Mr. Van Nord. The same one. What? Good heavens. Mr. Marlowe, did, did this happen because of the bow? No doubt. Mona Waters just got away between those two buildings. Oh. I'm pretty sure she's the one who took the bowl out of your place tonight because Jimmy Brown Bear got it away from her later. And she's got it back again and he winds up like that. Then you think the girl killed him to recover the bowl? Right now I'm too bald up to think anything. Just a minute. How do you manage to show up here? Uh, why, I I started home in this man's taxi and found out that he was the one who brought Mr. Brown Bear to my shop tonight. Yeah, that's right. I picked the Indian up right out here on the corner. Uh, so we came down here because I thought if we found where the Indian was staying, it might be a help to you, Marlowe. You were waiting in the cab when he was shot? No. No, I started into this place alone, and then I thought better of it and came out to get you, Cabby, to come in with me. Then I heard the shot. Mm-hmm. Now, look, Mr. Van Oort, you better keep your nose out of this mess. Huh? Go on home and sit on your curios. I'll call you when I got something. <laughs> Assuming that my client's story was true and that he did have the cabbie to back him up, I got in my car and headed back to the Walker house. I parked at the side of the hotel and started to that convenient rear door again when I saw the commotion of half a dozen excited passers-by bending over a man stretched out on the sidewalk. Hey, how do you like that? It's enough to make a fatalist out of you, ain't it? Absolutely. What happened? Why, that poor guy there is walking along minding his own business and practically gets his back broke by a hunk of pottery some jerk must have heaved out of one of them windows up there. Pottery? You mean a bowl, maybe? A bowl? I, I, I don't know. It broke all the smithereens. It was plenty heavy, though. It was about... Hey, hey, look, look. Here's a chunk of it. Let me see that. Oh, sure. Brown clay with symbols carved on it. Indian symbols. Listen, uh, buddy, what window did that come out of? Anybody see? Anybody? No, no. They're all dark up there. We can't figure it out. We just... Hey, what's the matter? Where are you going? There was no doubt about it. A broken piece of pottery I'd clenched in my hand must have come from the Indian bowl. I ran inside, rode the elevator up to the fifth floor again, and beat it down the hall to 515. Sprawled out on the floor inside was Clark Erskine, the archaeologist, making a valiant but wobbly effort to get back on his feet. I dropped the chunk of bowl in my pocket and gave him a hand. Come on, fella. What? Up you go. Come on. What is it? All right. Take it easy. What? What? Now sit over here and tell me what happened to him. Who am I? Who are you? Marlowe, Marlowe. Remember, you're oh. in room 515 of the Walker house. Oh. When I left, you were waiting for Mona Waters, but I came back to find you spread out on the floor, as flat as that puddle of ink there on the desk blotter. Now, you take it. How come all this? Oh, yeah, yes, I, I remember now. I was struck. Yeah, yeah. But, Marlowe, there are the lights around. And they're better left that way unless you want a room full of irate citizens. Who struck you? I have no idea. I was sitting at the desk there writing Miss Waters a note because I had decided not to wait any longer when I was hit from behind. That explains the spilled ink. What about the open window? It was closed when I left. Open window? Why, why that's strange. Strange? It's screwy. Nuts. What do you mean? Mr. Marlowe, just what is your position in this business? I'm a private detective working for Mr. Van Norden. I'll tell you something else. Whoever slugged you, open that window and sail the precious Indian bowl right out into thin air, five stories high. Oh. Smashed down there on the sidewalk. Oh, the, the, the bowl is gone? Destroyed? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, no. Oh, yes. Why, that's hideous. The markings on that were priceless. Why, Marlowe, great Scott, why was it destroyed? That's what I mean. See, it's screwy. Oh, wait a minute, I'll get it. Hello? Uh, Miss Mona Waters, please. It's urgent. Interstate Airlines calling. She's out. I'll take the message. Oh, thank heavens. We want to rectify a perfectly ghastly mistake. We're afraid the relief operator may have given Miss Waters 2.12 a.m. instead of 1.12 a.m. as the departure time of her plane tonight. But baby, it's 12.30 now. If she leaves at 1.12... I she... know. We're just sick about it. Can't she make it? I hope not. I'll do my best to deliver your message in person. You're a dear girl for calling. Goodbye. What was it, Marlowe? Something important? Not archaeologically. I'll see you later. Oh, wait, wait. Isn't there anything we can do about the bow? Yeah, oh, sure. Get a bottle of glue and a dustpan and hop to it. So long, Erskine. I'm off to the field of the Thunderbirds. Look, officer, I was just... Never mind. Well, Mac, you're batting a thousand. You pulled out of the hotel driveway two blocks back, ran one full stop and a red signal getting this far. That's great. So what's your story? Been drinking? Not a drop, believe me. Now, look, I've got to get to the airport in a hurry. Why? To catch an Indian girl. A guy named Jimmy Brown Bear was murdered tonight because a bowl was stolen. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. Who was murdered? Oh, I know. What's it? There's no use in going into it. Officer, my name is Marlowe. I'm a private detective working on a case, and i got to get to the airport. Private eye, huh? Let's see your papers. Oh, sure, sure. Here, they're, they're all here. I, I... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Philip Marlowe, license number. Hey, what's eating you? What are you staring at? Blue-black lines on the palm of my hand. They, they look just like... Holy smoke, they are. That's the answer. I gotta get back to that hotel. It's a matter of life and death. Now, just please a give me a ticket. Give me three tickets. Only let me get back to the Walker House right now. Will your life depends on it? You better be right, Marlowe. Wait till I stop the traffic, then make the U-turn. Now go ahead. I made it back to the hotel in something under seven minutes for the round trip. I ran for the elevator, waited for the car to come down, and when the gate opened, bumped head-on into Clark Erskine himself. I backed him into the elevator again at gunpoint and pushed the fifth floor button. I didn't say a word. By the time the elevator stopped and the gate slid open, he was beginning to sweat. Marlo, I, I, I just don't understand this. Why is the gun? Take a guess, Erskine. I want to know what happened to Mona Waters. Why, I, I don't know. She, she didn't come back. Here, this is 515. Remember, go on, open it up. And get inside. <coughs> Now listen, you, I know who killed Jimmy Brown Bear, and I found out plenty about the bull, so talk. Where's Mona? Behind you with a gun in my hand, so don't move. Oh, great. Well, at least you're okay. Except for a headache, yes. I just woke up in the bedroom with a heap big lump on my scalp, and I know a pale face who's going to pay for that. Drop your gun, Marlowe, drop it. Now, who's this character here, and where's the bow? Marlowe headed Miss Waters. I, I saw him hit you and take it. I, I tried to stop him, but he hit me too. My name is Erskine. I'm an archaeologist. I only wanted to make a scientific study of the bowl, but this vandal here has destroyed it. Destroyed Marlowe! Slide down, that wing, and listen. Before you start shooting, there's a lot of wampum at stake. If nothing else, now keep that in mind. Okay, big wind, start blowing. Speak your piece and keep it straight. He's a treacherous liar, Miss Waters. I know I'm braced for that. Oh, you sweetheart, you. All right. The inscription's on that bowl with a key to the treasure, which is probably no news to you two. You didn't know how to work it, Mona, but Erskine here did. He found out that some of the lines were etched into the clay and others were raised, like the face of type in a printing press. Do I go on? I do, Professor. 
All right, now look. If you look closely, beautiful, you'll see ink on his fingers. Also, you'll notice that a bottle of ink poured out on your desk blotter there made the same kind of ink pad you use for a rubber stamp. That ink was spilled by accident. Now, don't listen to him because... Shut up! Go on, Muller. Well, after he knocked you out and left you in the bedroom, all he had to do was roll that wide, flat border of the bowl through the ink. Then roll it again over blank paper and it printed. What's more, baby, if we look real close, we'll find a perfect printed map on your hotel stationery stuck in one of his inside no, pockets. No, you don't! You'll never get the chance! Muller, the guy on the floor is Jack Muller, lights out! <laughs> Marlowe? Marlowe, are you all right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay. Then I, I did shoot the right man. Thanks. Well, that's about the story, Mr. Van Orden. Mona here slipped the Indian bowl into your shipment to keep it away from the guys she knew were after it. And, of course, she had to follow the bowl here to L.A. Erskine followed her. I see. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? Positively amazing. Marlowe, how did you discover that the intricate pattern on the bowl worked like a printing press? Oh, well, after Erskine had made his print of the map, he threw the bowl out the window to smash it so no one else could duplicate it. I got hold of a chunk of it and clenched it in my hand. I found out later when I passed that cop my credentials that the chunk of pottery had left separate, distinct lines of ink on my palm. Terribly clever, isn't he, Mr. Van Loo? Oh, take it easy, baby. Indeed, he is clever, Miss Walters. But what of poor Jimmy Brownbear? Well, Erskine followed me from the hotel at Jimmy's place and shot him, so I'd never have a chance to talk to him. He was a ruthless little guy, Clark Erskine. But if he survives that bullet wound, the state will get him for murder. Yeah. Oh, Miss Walters, you'll have to hurry and finish your breakfast so that you can catch your plane. Uh, but before you go, I have a little gift for you. <laughs> Excuse me. I'll get it. And Marla, speaking of gifts, I have one for you. Come here. Mm-hmm. Oh, baby, that's nice. <laughs> Is it for keeps? Of course not, silly. I'm an Indian giver, remember? <laughs> when I come to town again, I'll be rich and reckless and loaded with all that old Spanish gold. That's when I'll take my gift back again. With interest. So long, finally got home, completely fagged out at ten o'clock in the morning. I took one look at my favorite chair, the big, deep, soft one, and then sank down into it good and hard. Ow! Ooh, something that felt like a broken beer bottle stabbed me. I reached for it, and it turned out to be the jagged chunk of the Indian bowl I dropped in my pocket earlier. For the first time, I really looked at the hieroglyphics on it. There were three Indian figures. The first was breaking sticks into uneven lengths. The second was holding a small fish, and the third was <laughs> running away with all the wampum. It took me a long time, but I finally got it, I think. The Indian picture message could only be translated one way. It had to mean, never give a sucker an even break. And right then and there, I thought about Mona and what she'd said. 
that's when I'll take my gift back again. With interest. So long, Bill. So long, baby. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, star Gerald Moore. Tonight's story was produced and directed by Cliff Howell. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Hans Conried, Clark Gordon, Howard Culver, Peter Leeds, Jane Webb, and Jane Avello. The special music is written and conducted by Richard O'Ron. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... Inside of two hours, a lavish mansion seethed with suspicion. A sealed cabin filled with gas and an artist's retreat had a corpse on the floor. All because one man was too good-looking to be true to anyone. There'll be a couple of unusual twists for mystery fans on Gangbusters and on Basil Rathbone's adventure tonight. Gangbusters will present a former chief of detectives on the New York City police, narrating the case of a bet on a long shot that ended in murder. Basil Rathbone's drama will find that suave gentleman going to jail himself in order to deliver a man to the police. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Now, stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Out of the fog, out of the night, and into his American adventures comes Bulldog Drummond. Wharton's Ice Cream, New York's favorite, brings you your favorite detective adventurer, Bulldog Drummond, in another of his exciting escapades. Champion of lost causes, amateur detective, the most celebrated soldier of fortune of the screen and radio... Bulldog Drummond comes to you each Monday evening at this same time with more of his baffling and intriguing mysteries. For adventure and excitement, keep this rendezvous with Bulldog Drummond every week. And for refreshment in between times, enjoy Horton's Ice Cream. tell you about tonight's adventure, here's Bulldog Drummond. Tonight's adventure took place very recently. So recently, in fact, that I'm still both amazed and profoundly grateful that Denny and I survived its dangers. I'm grateful, too, that more than one Axis submarine will no longer... However, that's a part of our story. A story which begins late on an overcast night in a certain east coast harbor. And one of the largest of the vessels anchor there, an oil tanker, the watchman pauses suddenly to listen. 
his attention caught by an unaccustomed sound. I wouldn't think it's that. Hey, who's making that tarnation noise? What's going on out there? All right. All right, speak up. Who's there? Shut up, Joe. What can... Keep your trap shut, mister. Say, who are you? How'd you get aboard? What's going on around here? I'll ask the questions, Joe. My name ain't Joe. It is to me. Want to earn some cash? Hmm. Oh. Oh, easy, Joe, easy. If anybody asks you about tonight, why, just make out like you didn't hear nothing and you didn't see nothing. Get it? You're up to something crooked. Then you ain't interested, No, I ain't. Now, you go and get out of here now. Go on. Get out before I call the cops. Okay, Joe. Don't make no difference to me. Penny saves a penny earned. Hey, what? <laughs> like it better that way, Joe? Oh, heaven bless you, Captain Drummond, sir. Heaven bless you. I knew you'd help me. Yes, I will, Mrs. Regan. I will. I give him my word. Tim always admired you, sir. Happiest days of his life they was, them months when he was working as your gardener, sir. So when I seen it right in print that you was in town... You offered to let me help you, and quite properly, too. I'd have considered it unfriendly if you hadn't. But, uh, Mrs. Regan... Yes, sir? What makes you think I can do more than the police? You say they found your husband in the alley behind, uh, what was the name of that tavern? The Blue Pelican, sir. Tis near the docks in a horrible place it is, sir. Hmm. Well, this sounds like it. And that was when? Oh, most a week ago now, sir. And they claim it must have happened in some kind of a fight. Claim my Tim must have been drunk. Said they smelled of liquor, something terrible. Tim smelled of liquor? I don't believe it. Oh, that's just it. Tim never drank a drop in his life, sir. I, I told the police. If the odor of whiskey was found on Tim... Either he'd been forced to swallow it before his murder, or it was sprinkled on his clothing afterwards. His murderer had a reason for it. Mrs. Regan, will you go home now and believe that Tim's murderer will be found? I know he'll be, Captain Drummond, if you say it, sir. Yes, I have your address. You'll hear it from me the moment that news. Goodbye, sir. I don't know how to thank you. And why should you? Goodbye. Goodbye, sir. Denny. Oh, yes, sir. Get our things, will you? We're paying a visit to the docks. Any luck, Denny? Not a particle, sir, and you, sir. Nothing. Hard, isn't it? You think someone would have seen poor Regan leave his ship that night? You inquired of everyone I suggested? Everyone, sir. Surely, Denny, a watchman leaving an oil tanker that size would have been observed by someone. The fact that he wasn't seems to indicate that his means of departure must have been rather extra. Hmm. Who's this fellow coming along the wharf? A most unpleasant looking chap, sir. Yes, isn't he? Evening. Oh, good evening. I seen you guys around. Oh, yes? Private cops? Well, uh... Well, no, not exactly. Why? I heard you asking questions about Tim Regan, a watchman. You maybe his old lady hired you. No, Tim was our friend. 
Oh, I get it, Joe. Joe? Oh, that's nothing. Just a way of calling a guy. Yes? And so? Well, I seen Regan that night. I thought maybe you'd like to know. I seen him leaving the ship. Really? Yeah. Oh, and that guy was cockeyed, soused, walking on rubber legs. I was passing, see? And he yelled, didn't I want to go with him and get a drink? I told him to go soak his head. And then? Well, he got his drink, I guess. I didn't pay no attention. I just figured you'd like to know. Yes, yes, indeed. Your information is of great value. Probably of more value than you realize. Ah, it's all right, Joe. Glad I helped you out. Well, I'll be seeing you. Huh? Oh, oh, yes, yes, I'm sure you will. Denny. Yes, Captain Drummond, sir. That fellow said he saw Tim Regan drunk. He lied. If he lied, he undoubtedly had good cause. We're going to follow him. Oh, but, sir... Wait, what? You go around the corner of the shed? Why? Why, yes, I believe he did, sir. Listen. Hear anything? Nothing, sir. Nor do I. Like the dog that didn't bark in the night, that's very strange. If it kept on, we should still hear his footsteps. I wonder... Well, don't get too close to the edge of the dock, sir. Denny, I think... Captain Drummond, sir! Captain! Captain Drummond, sir! Where are you? Where are you, sir? Officer, I say officer. Oh, it's you. Have you... Have you... No. I'm sorry, fellow. Got some of the boys up waiting the grappling hooks, and there's others still searching under the piers, but... So far, there hasn't been a sign of them. Oh, this is horrible. You didn't see him again after the shots were fired, huh? After you fell in? Oh, no, not even for a moment, sir. It was it was precisely as if he'd vanished into thin air, sir. Uh-huh. Well, what's likely happened, he must have got sucked under the pines, and by now, with the tide going out for the last hour, the commissioner himself couldn't tell you where to look. But don't you worry. We'll find the body for you someplace. Oh, did... Did you say the body? That's what I said. If you want his ghost, you'll have to see someone higher up than me. Friend. Here, Bill. Get back here out of the light, you huh? fathead, or I'll kick them gold teeth down your throat. Ah, uh, Bill, cut it out. Yeah, well, I don't like it much right now. Look, huh? there by that crowd. That the guy was with a dummy you knocked off? Yeah, that's him. Okay. Back to the boat. And how long are you going to take? How should I know? Go on. Get going before I slap you around a little just to keep a figure down. Hi, fellas. Uh, oh, oh, good evening, madam. Want to hear something interesting? Huh? Hell, yours just had some tough luck, didn't they? Why, well, yes, but... Like what? to know where's the guy what plugged them? You, you mean you know? I might. Come on along. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. Just one moment. I'll get a police... Oh, no, you don't. Cops ain't cursed. Oh, but I... Oh, hold it, handsome. I ain't a debating society. I'm just a little lady that's trying to do you a favor because I don't like killers. Maybe I've stuck my neck out too far already. So long, handsome. Uh, oh, no, 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 wait. Huh? Uh, I, uh, I'll go with you. Ah, uh, better. Um, uh, is it very far? Not especially. Uh, where do we go? Down this way, along the dock. Oh, it's, um, it's quite dark. Yeah. 
Uh, how, how did you learn who the fellow is? Oh, just happened to hear some of the boys talking. I don't like the guy, so I thought I'd tickle myself by turning them in. Oh. Uh, isn't that a boat? Yeah. But what's it doing here? Well, it's the dock, and that's the harbor, ain't it? Where'd you expect the boat to be? City Hall? Oh, no, no, but... Hey, Joe. What? But you're the... Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm me. See this healer? Oh, behave, brother, behave. Oh, boy. Have some way work. Keep her over, Slim. Get started. We got business to do. What is the desperate game that Bell and Slim are playing? A game so desperate that they murdered to avoid detection. You'll learn more about these questions in just a few moments. And now back to Bulldog Drummond. We left Denny being shanghaied by Bell and Slim, who told Denny that they were leading him to the person he believes has murdered Bulldog Drummond. Their boat pulls away from the pier. It is a few minutes later. Bell is speaking. We're getting close to the point, Slim. Let's swing out a little before we round it. Yeah, okay. How's up now? Oh, he's all right. Tied him up his laying ass on the top. Uh-oh. Look there. Huh? Fog's coming in off the ocean. Mighty thick, too. What time is it? Uh, 9.30. Hey, this don't mean we're making another trip tonight, does it? Sure. But we ain't heard from Snyder. Well, I got Doe says we will. Come on, tip on it. He's coming, I want to be back to the barge before he gets there. Fast. Hey, what about Handsome here? Oh, forget him. He'll keep. He's tied up beautifully, ain't you, Handsome? Adam, as a gentleman's gentleman, there's nothing I can say which would pass a gentleman's gentleman's lips. Hey, Bell, that's double talk. Let's cheer on him, don't it? All right, shake a leg and come on up on the bar. Okay, okay, I'm coming. Oh. Hello. Hello. Oh. I say, Danny, would you mind rolling over a bit? You're on my leg, you know. Okay, Captain Drummond, sir. Yes, quiet. A little farther, if you please, Danny. Oh, that's splendid. <laughs> but you're dead, sir, am I? But isn't this an abrupt way of breaking the news to me? Oh, but, sir, you, you were shot. The police are looking for your body. And I'm sorry, but they won't find it. And Captain Drummond, I confess it, sir. I simply don't know what to say. I am completely bewildered. Oh, but it's all quite simple. But, sir, when that horrible chap fired at I did the most sensible thing and removed myself. You see, Danny, it seems quite clear now that Slim realized it was odd no one had seen Regan leave the tanker. Therefore, to soothe our suspicions, he volunteered that holy medical tale of his. Oh, yes, quite so, sir. But when he eavesdropped on us, he immediately discovered he'd made a mistake. That we knew Regan didn't drink. So he'd have to erase his mistake by erasing me. And uh, you deliberately let him think you're dead, sir? Of course. And you were watching where we searched for you, sir. Danny, 
I was within 30 feet of you the entire time. 30 feet? Incredible, sir. When I spotted Bell and Slim, I secreted myself under this tarpaulin. And, as you must by this time be aware, here I am. Ah, that's a fine story, isn't it? Just where are we? Well, it's become quite foggy, sir, but we do seem to be a good bit offshore. But you untie me. Good eye. Oh, of course, Danny. I completely forgot. Here, turn around and I... Hold it. But, sir... Sorry, I'm afraid you'll have to wait. That's a tugboat. And unless I'm greatly mistaken, it's going to tie up to that barge. Never mind that, Pauline. There is no time. Do please call Slim to the deck house. I must return to shore. There are things that is necessary for you to know. Now then, I will repeat your instructions. There must be no mistake. Captain Lister will take you to a point three miles off Reef Island, where you will drop anchor. There you will be out of the way of the harbor traffic on the shipping lanes. She will then send out the code message. Your wireless has been repaired. Sir. Good. The message consists of two words. Thick fog. Yeah. To have that? Thick fog. She will send that message for precisely two minutes. No more, no less. Then you will do in every respect exactly as you have done before, Fräulein. You will simply wait. Captain Lister has been instructed to sound his foghorn at regular intervals. That would serve as a guide. Yes. You will be met by two submarines, both of them badly in need of the fuel carried on this barge. If you do not meet them, if they fail to receive this fuel... Goodbye, you both, huh? Yes, and also... Huh? Goodbye, Fräulein. Denny. Yes, Captain. I've been doing a little eavesdropping. The chap will be along in a moment to use this motorboat to get ashore. I'll have to leave you tied and hunt cover aboard the barge. They're going to take you inside the deck house. But, but they mean to kill me, Denny, sir. we're on to bigger game than we ever dreamed of. So big that... Well, there's not time to explain now. You'll have to take my word for it. But trust me, will you? Of course, sir. Denny, you've got intestinal fortitude. Oh, really? Is it serious, sir? Serious. As a matter of fact, Denny, it may be the death of you. Oh, I see what a beastly noise out there. Must they make all that racket? This is as far as the tug goes, handsome. I'll let the anchor go, Bill. No, stay here. I can manage. Well, handsome, this is where you get off. Too bad you ain't got a round-trip ticket. A round-trip ticket? That's what I said, fella. Slim. Yeah? Suppose you show handsome the way out, huh? Show him... Oh! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you bet. Goodbye, handsome. Ain't it too bad we won't never get to know each other better? <laughs> you hear that, Joe? What an extremely coarse sense of humor. Uh-huh. She, uh, wasn't joking. I say, what are you doing? Just getting my gun. Guess why, Joe. I, uh... Okay. On your feet. Oh, now, really, you can't. Hey, hey. Captain Lemon, careful, sir. 
Like that, my friend? Oh, beautifully done, sir. That you told him for a bit, Denny. Now then, we'll have to work fast. Get you out of these ropes first. Yes, uh, that female, sir. He's talking with the captain of the tug, Denny. We'll have time, I think. Uh, uh, Just one second now. There you are. Uh, I'm afraid I'm feeling a bit cramped, sir. Uh, pass. In what now, sir? No use tackling the crew. Too many for us. Let's see. Oh, this is what I'm after. Oh, that's their wireless, sir. Yes, I know. It'll take a moment to warm up, I imagine. Let's have a practice go at it, eh? Kind of rusty at this. You you intend to get a message through to the proper authorities, sir? Right, Denny. Keep a look out at that forward porthole, will you? Of course, sir. See our hostess? Well, not a sign of us, sir. Maybe you ain't looking in the right direction. Oh, my uh, word. Ah, ah, ah. Don't touch that gun. I'm nuts about loud noises. I pull this trigger just to hear it go bang, Captain, bang. Never mind, Denny. Good evening, Belle. Kind of cool, ain't you? You must be the gent Slim claimed he plugged. Ah, oh, that's Slim there on the floor? Yeah. Well, that's what he gets for taking too much for granted. Kind of had it coming. Yes, Belle, I think he did. Just getting ready to use the wireless, huh? Okay, that's fine. Send out a message for me. Thick fog. Just them two words. You know how to spell them? I might manage. Any objection? Under the circumstances, no. Wouldn't be healthy to send anything but what I told you. Really? What's to prevent? A bullet in the stomach. Oh. You see, I can't be tricked, pal. I can work that gadget as good as you can. Well, you're a most remarkable woman. Yeah? And likely to come to a most remarkable end. Now, uh, what was that message? Two words, wasn't it? Ah, yes. Thick fog. Like our friend Slim is coming around, Bill. Now, time, ain't it? Hey, Slim. Slim! Snap out of it. Well, how'd I get out of here on deck? They brought you out so you could get a little air. Oh. Say, you're the guy that slugged me. I'll let you... You're a lot of sorts, aren't you, Slim? Oh, Oh, sit down. Lobbing on your pins like a kid. Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel so good. Say, how come these guys ain't been bumped off yet? Simply that Bill's got a soft place in her heart for you, Slim. Huh? You see, she thought it would be a rather nice gesture if she waited until you could manage the, uh, killing yourself. You know how women are, sentimentalists. A wise guy, huh? Oh, and, uh, while we're waiting for your submersible friends, uh... Oh, yes, where are they, I wonder? And be along. Don't let it worry you. What was you going to say? Well, several questions have been puzzling me a little. Tim Regan, for instance. You killed him, didn't you, Slim? Why should I tell you anything, Joe? Well, after all, neither Denny or I are likely to repeat it, are we? <laughs> ah, I guess you ain't. Yeah, I knocked him off. What about it? And smuggled his body into that alley behind the tavern? That's right. But why? He couldn't have discovered you stealing all by any chance, could he? You couldn't have been tapping the pipeline from that tanker to the dark. Say, Captain Lister's cut the foghorn. Must have signed it something. Wait a second. Yeah, it's them, Slim. See them? The submarines? Yeah. Over there on the left. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure, there they are. Well, I'll rig up the pumps. Hey, hey, Bell. What's that? What? Here, here, over this way. It, 
It's a destroyer. A destroyer. Destroyer. Let go of your folks. Let go. They can't stop. They're running us down. I've heard any. I know you don't. Let go, you idiot. Let go. You want us both to die? Let's go. to the smashing climax of our mystery in just a moment. Thrown from the barge into the water by the impact of the destroyer that came knifing through the fog, Bulldog Drummond found himself struggling for his life with a man driven out of his mind by rage and fear. You fool, let's go. You down us, I tell you. You done it. I don't know how, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to Captain Drummond, sir. Captain Drummond. Oh, sir, here. Here's this plane, sir. It'll support us both, sir. I'm diving. Trying to find Slim. The fool went crazy. I had to fight him. Afraid he's drowned. Can't... Can't seem to... To locate him at all. The explosions I heard, sir. Depth bombs. Destroyer going after those subs. I don't hear him now. Must be finished. Maybe they can pick us up. Oh, ho! And there you have it, Commander. At a cost of nothing more than a few buckled plates, you bagged yourself two submarines and an assorted litter of racketeers. What's more, you've got a lead to an enemy agent. Slim's gone, of course, but... Bell can give you enough evidence for an indictment. Good hunting, eh? Excellent hunting, Captain Drummond. Begging your pardon, sir. Yes, Danny, what is it? Well, sir, perhaps I'm stupid, but really, sir, I still haven't the slightest notion how you managed to bring this destroyer to our rescue. It was very easy. I first sent out the code message, then changed my style of sending a bit and tapped out an SOS. An SOS, sir? Precisely. I gave a position beyond Reef Island so that vessels coming to our rescue from the harbor would be forced to approach near our actual position. Commander Davis here, thinking himself on an errand of mercy, heard the whistles of the tug and assumed it marked his objective. Oh, but sir, huh? how did you dare send such a message with that woman listening, sir? She'd warned you that she couldn't be tricked, sir, that she un understood the operation of the wireless. On the contrary, Danny, although she wasn't aware of it, she told me the exact opposite. But, sir, I distinctly heard her. Denny, you distinctly heard her try to bluff me. Slim was the wireless operator, not Bell. Why in the world else would she choose to keep us alive until he came to again? Oh, and uh, speaking of the wireless, Commander, would it be possible to radio a personal message ashore? Well, I... Uh... Yes, yes, I think in this case we might make an exception. It's to a Mrs. Timothy Regan at 816 Water Street. Yes. Tell her the rat that killed Tim is at the bottom of the Atlantic. And, Commander, uh -huh. you spell rat N-A-Z-I. 
attempted murder of a kindly old man for a most evil reason. And Denny keeps me from catching a cold at a most opportune moment. Be with us next week, won't you?